Amen. Amen. Let's put some things into context here. In ancient Babylon, which is Iraq today, they were probably the first culture to create multiplication tables. They were more than 4,000 years ago. They created these multiplication tables in what we call Iraq today. They did their mathematics on clay table tablets, some of them which have survived until today. Not the tablets you see we have today, not the iPad tablets. They had their own kind of tablets they used back in the day. The first iPad tablet. Amen. <laughs> This is, as they grew, they needed to do more sophisticated mathematics to help them build trade. In order to speed up the calculations, merchants would carry around these tablets to help speed up the process. See, tablets have been changing the way we do business for over 4,000 years. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. So these tablets, they use them for multiplication. Much as we do today in modern engineers, we use calculators in our pockets or some other form of tablet to to, de to determine or define or the to multiply numbers. See, those who remember these tablets by, uh, were able to trade more successfully than those who had to, to pull out tablets. If you knew the numbers, the math in your head, you could do quicker business, big business. But a, a spare thought for the ancient Babylonian students because they counted in powers of 60 rather than 10. They were brilliant. and so. When they did the numbers, they were counting in 60. They were counting up quicker than we even do today. Mm -hmm. I think some of us use less of our mind than we actually, most of us use less of our mind than we actually can use because yeah. we've been told limitations. Mm -hmm. So we limit what we can do based upon what we think that our mind can conceive or, or can do. They're required though to know sums all the way up to 59 times on the table. How many of us remember when we started doing multiplication, we did one times one is one, mm -hmm. one times two is yep. two. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And we got up to 12 times 12, we thought we were doing something. Mm -hmm. right. It was 144. We all, we did the whole table. Uh -huh. But they were doing up to 60 of those. Mm -hmm. So they were doing like 59 times 58. What is that? Anybody know real quick? Mm -mm. Exactly. Don't ask me. Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. So, they were able to do that because they were into multiplication, into having more. Mm -hmm. Being able to do quickly to establish more, to make more money, to have an abundance, to sit down and do trade and business quickly through their multiplication. They believed in multiplication to get more. Mm -hmm. So today, I'm gonna put this into perspective. When Jesus sat down, he sat down with those who had those 12 loaves of, uh, 12 loaves of bread? Mm -hmm. Who had those five loaves of bread and those two fish? Jesus was into multiplication. Mm -hmm. See, without limit on what they can conceive, without limit what they can do, because now there was no limit on what they could conceive. Mm -hmm. So Jesus could conceive beyond what we had before us. What if we had, what if we lived our life under the thought of multiplication? Then well, no matter what we see before us, we know there's more than enough for all of us present and then some. And put it into context, in the book Multiplication, author Tommy Barnett writes this, a New Testament church is not, an, is not an evangelistic church. A New Testament church is a soul-winning church. Amen. A soul-winning church is one which the members come to be strengthened and edified so that they may go out and preach the gospel to a dying world. He goes on to say, it's not my job as a preacher to win souls. It is my job as a Christian to win souls. As a pastor, I'm to work on my congregation to get them in shape to go out 
and minister the good news of the salvation of salvation to the world. The pastor must reproduce and multiply himself to each person sent out from the church. Thus, Christians go into the world to witness to their unsaved friends, neighbors, and co-workers. Mm -hmm. See, our, our, our responsibility and our job, what he did, he summed, he summed up what the Bible says to go out and make disciples of all nations. He, he put it into words that we can conceive today, that we can comprehend in today's time. Our responsibility is to go out and save a dying world in your chair. In your chair. There's a, can someone pass me a card? Someone pass me a card. So that chair. In your chair, there's a purple card. There's a purple card in your chair. We just got these. We just got these uh, in the mail that came in. And this purple card is an invitation card. It's a, uh, you're invited to church, basically. You invite people to church. And it has a date, I mean, the, the location, the time, a basic invitation card. But on the back of it, it has a, a website, truelife.org. And on this website, it's a series of videos that explains to people if they have any questions about things like uh, death, or, or what is heaven, or, uh, or what is marriage, you know, what does the Bible say about marriage, what does the Bible say about suffering, a variety of, of, of topics on the back of the card. So are you not only inviting the church, you're inviting them to salvation. You're inviting them to find out more. Those questions that are holding them back from making the decision that they want to be, you know, on God's side. Just the other day I had a conversation with a gentleman who, who we were talking about Kanye West and his transformation. He said, do you, do you, are you a believer? And I thought he was talking about Kanye West. And I'm going, on, well, I, I don't know Kanye, you know. He's like, no, no, I'm talking about you, not Kanye. And I said, yes, I'm a believer. And he wanted to know, he wanted to know, why am I still a believer? What makes me a believer? Because he said, until six months ago, I was a believer. But now, I'm not a believer anymore, he says. He says, I'm not a believer. And I'm not trying to figure out, why aren't you a believer? He says, simply because uh, somebody was breaking down that the ark, Noah's ark may not even be real. It may not even have happened. I said, well, my friends uh, built an ark, Noah's ark, a replica of it. Right there in Cincinnati and Kentucky line, there's an actual Noah's Ark. He said, yeah, I said, yeah, but what, what makes you think? He says, well, give me some examples of why the Jesus is real, why Christianity is real. And I gave one of my testimonies. I gave the testimony when I was 14 years of age, and all I could say is I was dying of asthma. All I could say, they told me to pray. They said, if you can't pray, just say Jesus. And I said, all I could say was Jesus. And in the midst of that, at 14, I never had asthma again. So I know for a fact that the power of his Holy Spirit is real because I've experienced it. I, I can't necessarily intellectualize it with you, but I know through my experience, through his Holy Spirit, he's real. And I said, I said, no matter what you go through, you know, until six months ago, if you go draw back in your memory, you will say, you will say, you will testify that somewhere along the way, God stepped in. You can't deny it. You can't deny it because we all have a testimony. We all have a witness of his salvation. We all can speak to the reality of what God is in our life. So we had these cards because we want to save a dying world. We want to multiply the number of those who get into heaven. We want to multiply those numbers of those individuals who experience heaven right here on earth. Why love a God and always getting beat up all the time and losing? 
if you know God is real, get beat up and understand in that beat up is wisdom gained, lessons learned. Yes. Because on the other side, we win. And I don't want to talk about in the by and by we win, but I'm talking about here on earth we win. See, Jesus didn't come to save a dying world for those who believe in him to fall on the wayside and suffer endlessly. To go through difficult times endlessly and feel beat up endlessly to the point where you think about, this is it, I'm going to end it. See, he came to save a dying world to give us an understanding that you will go through. <laughs> but as you're going through, know that I am here. And I have you. Take this yoke upon me. Take my yoke upon you. That means get, get locked in with Jesus. That's right. And then lock and load with Jesus with the understanding that he went down to Hades and went down there and got back up to confirm to the spiritual realm, I am king. <laughs> he had to show him. See, so we were already victorious. So that's a wonderful thing to be in a place where you understand that you're already victorious. We know this time and time again, but I know there's people in this church who are going through. In one week's time, three people were very ill to the point they were in bed or in the hospital. In one week's time, a high percentage of people were sick and afflicted. In one week's time. And it's just around the time we were talking about expanding and multiplying and reaching out to more. And it was just around the time we had one of our best services. I mean, it was one of our times we had uh, our praise team was on fire. The, the, it was full in the house and it was, a, it was a glorious time. And the very next week, everybody was sick. Everybody was going through. And I, got ex I get excited about that because then I know we're on the right track. See, you, you can't but trust God for what you see. You got to trust God for what he said. <laughs> for what he said. So I believe God for what he said. I believe in the overflow. I believe God in the restoration. I, I believe God for the kingdom building. I believe God for saving souls. I believe God for, for baptizing individuals, for people. I believe God for bringing families together. I believe God. I believe God because he says so. So we learn from this lesson here, Luke 9, 10 through 17. It says, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to read all that. Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. He says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So what they did, we learned from this, is they, they gathered, they preached, they healed. It was all in their mind. They gathered, they preached, and they healed. Huh. He took them to a town. The crowds learned. They followed. They gathered. He welcomed them. He spoke to them. He preached about the kingdom of God, and then he healed those who needed healing. We gather on Sunday. We preach, and we heal. It's systematic. We gather, we call them here. We preach the gospel, and they are healed. We believe in the healing power of Jesus. Yeah. See, he healed those who needed healing. 
he healed those who needed healing. So why we come to church on Sundays? Because, see, your ministry is powerful when you're connected with another person next to you. You think it's about you. It ain't about you. It ain't about you. It's about you inviting others to take part of the mission of saving the world. And collectively, you sitting next to the person next to you, you don't know what they're going through. But your presence is powerful. We gather, we preach, and we heal those who need healing, who need healing. We follow in the way that teaches God, what God teaches us through the scripture. Plain and simple, it's right there. See, one thing about our church is we're not gonna give you the fluff. We're not giving you fluff. We come right from the Bible. It's just straightforward. I don't even know any way to do it because God's word is so powerful. There's no need to add to it or take anything from it. Just deliver it to you. Amen? Amen. Luke 9, verse 12. We got to feed the body. We gather, we preach, we heal those who need it. Then we got to feed the body. It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 come came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here, he replied. You give them something to eat, they answered. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. There's about 5,000 men that were present. See, there's power in the breaking of bread. There's power in fellowshipping with one another. See, they came together in a bond. They're all in a situation where they were needed some comfort. We're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Talks about this. It's a pyramid that talks about the things we need in the foundations of life. The things we need in the foundations of life. We need food. We need clothing. We need housing. Housing. We need warmth when it's cold, and we need something to be cooled off when it's hot. <laughs> Those are our needs. We can't do anything until those initial needs are met. Even Jesus understood. We're in a, a low, we're in a barren place. We're in a nomadic. We're in a, a, a place away from everywhere else. But before we do anything for the people, before we do anything, we need to feed them. Take care of the basic needs. We need to fellowship with one another. There's something about coming together. We need to make sure that they don't feel like they can't, what's going to happen tomorrow. They need to know that tomorrow will take care of itself. It will take care of the needs here today. See, quite often we lack productivity in our own individual lives because we spend so much time taking care of those initial needs. You work all week. You're busy working because you got to pay for food, clothing, and housing. So you spend that time working, and when you're done working, you come home and you're, you're so stressed from a job that you don't want to be at. You're so stressed, you watch a little bit of TV or go to YouTube and play a little YouTube. You play some games or whatever you do to get away. This disconnected from life, work. And then by doing that, by the time you finish that, it's late in the hour and you're tired. And all you want to do is go to bed. And you get up to do the same thing all over again. You may join a, a club. You may do something for your kids. You may do something like that during the course of the week. That just takes away time from you being productive and expanding God's kingdom because you're taking care of life. 
And we don't understand that our purpose, that's you those are but those are your basic needs. To take care of your kids. That's a base, that's a responsibility. That's a basic responsibility to take care of your kids. It's a basic responsibility to train them up, to give them something to do, to, to curtail them from being caught in dangerous ways in the world. So we have soccer, we have track, we have basketball, we have AAU. And you're so busy being busy or being busy that you forget about your main reason for God giving you life. So those are just to get you started. But God wants you to do is save some souls. See, if you're a believer, you're a minister of the gospel. So, yes, he understands you got to take care of your basic needs. But, yes, we have also understand that I'm, expect, God said, I'm expecting you to save some souls. I'm expecting you to, to share the salvation. I'm expecting you to share the good news. But we make it easy for you. While you're doing all those things, we give you a card. And say, hey, I'm inviting you to church. But if you have a church home, if you have any questions about anything here, you know, if you have a question about salvation, um, sexuality, suffering, even science, just watch one of these videos. So you've already done the part. Because, see, you're so busy with life, we have to simplify being able to save souls by providing you a tool, a mechanism, so that you can save some souls. Someone say save souls. Save souls. So you can save some souls. <laughs> but then you got to get your blessing. Luke 9, 14, verse, the second part of it said, But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so. And everyone, everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke them. Our God is a God of order because before we can experience multiplication, we must first encounter God's blessing. Before you can experience multiplication in your life, you must first encounter God's blessing. What God had them do, he had them sit down, he had them gather in an orderly manner, and then he took what he had, and he blessed it by showing it to heaven, giving it to heaven, and letting heaven anoint it and bless it. See, we spend so much time doing other things. We need to understand when we, when we sit down, be still, get God to bless it. Amen? Amen. You know, I, I, I always think about Roots, the television show Roots. And, and Roots, when the child was born, when the first thing that the father did, he took them out and he put them up and he put them up towards heaven and he blessed the child. He blessed the child first. He gave it to God. And I, and I wonder if we would do that, remind us to do that, not just for our firstborn child, but if we do that for the things that we really are in love with. You love your child, so it's a natural. Or things we're concerned about, things we care about. How many of us have taken and put our family up to heaven before we did anything else? How many of us have put our workplace and blessed it and sent it up to heaven for heaven to bless our, our workplace? How many of us have put our businesses to heaven and said, heaven, God, bless this now? How many of us have, have gone to our neighbors next door to us and said, here, God, here's uh, the, the Johnsons. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Here, here, God, here are the Johnsons, and, and we, we bless them now. How many of us have done that? How many of us have really looked to being, uh, bringing forth salvation and multiplication into the lives of somebody else because we love them so much? Or we're so, we're so concerned for them. See, what God did was 
He brought him there and he blessed it. And then it was multiplied. In the first Genesis 1, 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. Abraham was tested in the 22nd chapter of Genesis. As God instructed him to sacrifice his son. We know all know the story. Take him to the mountain. On the third day he did. Abraham passed God's test through his obedience and his actions. Before he could say anything to his son, what he did was the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. Verse 16, he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations of earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Ah! What's amazing is Abraham was obedient to God, had his son, and then even before he was about to slay his son, he presented him to God, the best that he had. Out of obedience to God, he did it, out of obedience. Didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew one thing, that God has never failed him yet. It was disastrous because, see, it was disastrous because it was his only son. Which means that without him, Abraham's generations would not continue. That would be cut off with the slaying of his son. His only son, Abraham's fame would end. Abraham's destiny would end. Abraham's family line would end. There were so many things with that. There were so many things. And it was on flesh and blood. How can you imagine you were going to do that? But then you're so in love with God and you trust God so much. And we learn from this is we don't have to be an Abraham. God has not asked us to sacrifice our children. What God shows us in this is God has asked us to be obedient. The lesson learned is to be obedient. And out of your obedience, you'll be blessed. Now, he wasn't just blessed for a day. He was blessed for generations. I don't know about you, but... I don't want to have an Abraham moment. I don't want to be in a place where I'm asked to take the life of my son. I don't want to be in a position where God says for me to take the life of my wife. I don't want to be in a position to try to obey that responsibility that God has on me. So I'm thankful to learn from the lessons of Abraham. <laughs> so we don't have to go through the same thing. What we do know is, what we can learn from it is, don't get so twisted where you get so far from God that he has to do something drastic like let you tell you to take your only. Walk alongside God. Be obedient to him. Walk alongside God now. And the blessings will flow. That's a great lesson. That's a great lesson. I want that lesson. That's the lesson I want. I don't want the difficult one. I want the one where God says, I got you. Man, I told you you did it, man. Here, 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 here. Here's his career for you. Here's his home for you. Here's his love for you. Here's his child who ain't driving you crazy for you. Here's the overflow of the business for you. Here the clients for you. Here it is for you because you were obedient. 
We preach this gospel this morning because we're obedient. I'm trusting God for the overflow. <laughs> I'm trusting God for the overflow. Because it's not what you see before you. It's what God has said about you. Has said to you. Multiplication happens in the hands of people once blessed. Multiplication happens in the hands of people once blessed. Luke 9, 16 says this. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. <laughs> Multiplication happens in the hands of the people. <laughs> he took the bread and the fish, looked to heaven, blessed it, gave thanks, gave it to the people in their hands, and then they distributed it. Multiplication happens in the hands of God's people once he blesses the situation. We learn in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, we learn verse 1 through 7, it reads as thus. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Pursue, Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? How can I bless you? Tell me what to do. Have, tell me what to do. Tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. <clears throat> God will take whatever you have, what smallness you may have. It's small to you. It's not unique to you. It's not special to you. It doesn't mean much to you. He'll take what you have. All, all she had <laughs> was a jar of oil. So Elisha said this to her, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it, put one to the side. That sounds crazy. What he said was, you have one jar of oil, but go ask all your neighbors, not just for a jar, but for, give me all you got. All you got. <laughs> give me all you got. How many of us want an all you got blessing? How many of us want to want to want to overflow blessing to the point that we can't even understand how this is happening to me? I, I want a blessing. For, I want a blessing so heavy, so hard, so multiple, just to multiply so much that it doesn't even doesn't even make sense to how to me or anybody around me. It doesn't make sense. But I just keep pouring. I just keep pouring. I keep pouring. I just keep pouring. I just keep pouring because God is blessing me with such an anointing. See, God wants to bless you so much, but He says you are not being obedient. So you count you count your blessings short. It's in the ridiculous faith. We got to have ridiculous faith. We got to have that faith that's just so ridiculous that it, it just, I believe I'm going to walk on water. Who's, who's ever tried to walk on water? Anybody? I tried. I've tried. I, I've stepped out like, I, no. <laughs> I ain't never tried. The only thing's heavy on me, I'm going to do this thing. I tried. Yeah, it didn't work. The first step was a doozy. The first step was a doozy. It didn't last long. I think I got the, I think I got the first step out and the second leg started coming, but I was already going under. Amen. Oh yeah. <laughs> but see, God didn't tell me to walk on water. That's right. It's something on my own desire to do. See, it wasn't for me to do because it wasn't the will of God for me to do. Exactly. It wasn't under His instructions for me to do. 
talking to a lady yesterday, and she asked me, how many grad schools did you apply to? I said, I only applied to one. She said, why'd you go to that one? I said, it was the, it was the number, one, number one university in the world. And God told me I was going to go. It was confirmed through a prophetess. So when it's time for me to apply, I'm only going to apply what God told me I was going to go. I was being obedient. The greatest, the, the number one in the world. And I'm not the number one student in my class. Nowhere near close to it. It was a miracle. But I did it out of obedience. See, God will bless you when you are obedient. When it doesn't even make sense to man or even sense to you. But you do it because you love God and trust God so much. Understand that he is not going to take you somewhere that he's not going to bless you. He's not going to send you somewhere and, and then say, I, I, pff, how you going to get back? <coughs> he's seen you somewhere. He's going to send an Uber or a Lyft. I mean, you know, come on, somebody. Something's going to work out. God is not going to leave you on the wayside. He's going to see you on the other side with a blessed side. You know, you, gonna, you will be on the blessed side. Amen? It says in the scripture, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. Oh, that's, that's right. I'm, I'm on a whole other thing now. <laughs> I'm not and she said, then go inside and shut the door behind you and start pouring the oil. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. See, just like the bread and the fish. And they sat down, he broke bread, he, they gave thanks, and they broke, and then they came back with 12 baskets. They had an overflow. Here, out of obedience to God, God's, she took the jars, she got as many as she could, and when she ran out of jars, he said, go and sell. And you live to pay your debts will be paid, and then some. God wants to bless us with the and then some. Who wants an and then some blessing? Anybody here? Oh yeah. Who wants an and some blessing? Who wants an and some blessing? So we gonna get an and some blessing. In the book, The Blessed Life, is Robert Morris writes this. We have books downstairs for you if you want a book. He explains that the second of the two principles of multiplication is this: only what is given away can multiply. If the disciples had simply kept the food for themselves, it would have never multiplied. The same principle applies to our finances. When we give over and above our tithe, that's when our finances have the potential to multiply. I don't know about you, but I want to live under the gift of multiplication. I want to live in the overflow of God's anointing, overflow of God's blessing. We'll close with this. Luke 9, 17 says this. They all ate and were satisfied, talking about those who ate the fish and the bread. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciple picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. See, that's an overflow blessing. He said, fill the jars. Get as many jars as you can. Fill the jars with oil. And it just kept pouring. It just kept pouring. It just kept pouring. And when it was over, it was over. What do I do now? There's no more left. Sell what you have and live off the rest. That's the overflow. We got to put a place, we believe in the multiplication of God's anointing, that we move to a place of overflow. 
But the first thing we have to do, we have to be obedient, then we have to give. See, each of those situations where the people were, be, were blessing it and giving it, blessing it and giving it, blessing it and giving it. How's your giving? How's your giving? How's your giving? How's your giving? See, God wants to move us to a new place, a new understanding of who he is in our lives. God wants to take us to another, a higher calling, a higher understanding of how he really wants to bless us. So you got to move away from what you see to what he says. I say it again. You got to move away from what you see to what God says. And be obedient to what God says to receive the overflow. In your obedience, you have to give. Only what is given is multiplied. So we get closer to Thanksgiving. This is the season of giving. So let's have giving on our heart because don't you want that multiplication to happen before Christmas besides all that? Don't you want the anointing of God to flow into your life for you and your family beyond what you can see right now? Blessings of God. <laughs> it's all about the multiplication. Get to your overflow. Take what you have, give it to God, let Him bless it, and watch God multiply it. Get to your overflow. <clears throat> I said, get to your overflow. Trust God for what you have, not how much you have. It's more than understand. It's more than enough. It's more than enough for God to use what you have, even when your enemies and your haters and your doubters count you out. God uses His math and multiplication to bless you beyond what we can conceive and what you what we can measure. Get to your overflow. Ha ha ha. Get to your overflow. Let us be the 2019 version of the 5,000. More than gathered to hear from Jesus and getting blessed and ready to experience multiplication. Let's be that version of the, the 2019 version of the, of the 2000 version or the 1000 version or the zero year or the 5000. Let's be the 2019 version of that where we gather together on Sunday morning. So we get together and we worship God and we bless what we have. We give it unto God and let him multiply it. <laughs> 